come back to our car uh, before the fireworks. And um, I was getting myself, myself psyched out and ready to go. And uh, we went down. Um, we sat down underneath the fireworks, um, getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And then uh, right in the middle of the show, I asked her to marry me. If she'd be my wife. And she said yes. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew she was exhausted and I was trying to keep her keep her going. Yeah, we were both we were both tired. We're we were both exhausted. exhausted. It was yeah. it was a hot day and we stayed in the AC for a while just to relax. Yeah. It Yeah, if we had redone it we would have gone later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was a long day. But I knew the, the end while we were there. Yeah, it was a good day. It ended well. <laughs> Eight months later, we got married. Um, yeah, it was everything we wanted. We've always wanted to have a family. Always wanted to have two kids. Um, we got pregnant right away. We got pregnant right away. Within three months after we got married. Yeah, and then um, we had our first son. We had Joshua. He was healthy. Um, we had some complications during that pregnancy. Um, he was born five weeks early, but nonetheless, he's happy, playful toddler now. Was you know we had a, a newborn. Uh, life was busy. Um, you know, working eight hours a day, coming home, helping out, uh, doing all the laundry. Oh, <laughs> um, house, house stuff. Up. Yeah. Um, uh, family life um, with our newborn son Joshua. Um, it was wonderful. Uh, just seeing all the first things that he did. His first time rolling over. Mm. Uh, his first time sitting up. Just the first time, you know, you get to lock eyes with your son and um, with his big blue eyes. It was just, you know, it just cuts right to the core of your heart. And You've been um, experiencing like the outside world. It's just obviously nothing I've never experienced before. Um, just growing up, just watching him grow up and learning from his experiences and his mistakes and and uh, nurturing this, this wonderful little human being. Yeah. It was just great. And then we wanted to have another one. Mm -hmm. And shortly after, we decided to have a second one. We got pregnant again in the winter of this year. And um, the first half of the pregnancy was nearly perfect. And then um, we hit that 20 week mark. Mm -hmm. And then we went to the doctor that day expecting to find out the sex of the baby. So, of course, we were so excited. So excited. We had told everybody at work um, we were going that day to find out the sex. And uh, everybody was telling me they wanted to know. Mm -hmm. a Family, report, friends, wanted everybody. To know how it went. And uh, we just went in so excited and just so full of, full of hope um, and just ex expectancy. Mm. We'll never forget the what the doctor said that day.
So we went to my 20 week ultrasound expecting to find out the sex of the baby and we were so excited yes. um, to tell everybody what it was. And then um, the doctor walked in after the ultrasound and instantly we could tell um, a different, different atmosphere in the room. The air was just heavy and I'll never forget the words that he said after he explained everything that was wrong. Um, when he looked at us and said, people in your situation um, typically terminate the pregnancy. Um, I had never expected to hear those words, ever, a day in my life. Um, we just felt so crushed. Um, I felt like every dream we had was all that gone. All expectancy and all the hope we had gone in with was just gone. absolutely mm -hmm. ripped from us. Mm -hmm. um, he also said that my health was in jeopardy as well. That um, this was a life or death situation for me and the baby. Um, I was just, I just was empty. My mind was somewhere else and I just was trying to process the news that I had heard and it was just, it was just traumatizing. It was, just like my heart, everything that, you know, I had hoped for and dreamed for and longed for. Um, my wife and my, my son, the possibility of losing them was just, of all that getting ripped away, mm -hmm. um, was just, was just hard. Something that, you know, will never be the same. And, uh, Brenda had suggested that we called, make a phone call, and uh, and I called Stacy Fry, and uh, I reached out to help from her, um, and I was I was a wreck. Um, I was just crying on the phone, uh, trying to just get the words out to Stacy, and um, and that was very very hard. And, uh, and uh, we had made an appointment to, to see Pastor Derek and Stacy the next day because uh, we needed some guidance. We needed some. We needed every ounce of help we could get. We needed, we needed direction and we needed help. Um, So we had to make a decision, um, and we decided to seek godly, wise counsel. Um, so we made an appointment to meet with Pastor Derek and his wife, Stacy. Um, going into that meeting, I had already made my decision as a wife and already a mom. Um, my decision was completely made up walking into this meeting, and you know, they prayed with us. They cried with us, they had a word for us. And I really feel we both walked out of there completely different. Yeah, I really um, felt that I needed to step up as the leader of the family. And, um, you know, we just got supercharged from the word Pastor Derek had for us. Um, all that devastation that we had received, that news, 
was just absolutely just wiped away. Um, we definitely made the right choice meeting with Pastor Derek. Um, and the decision that, you know, we made, um, we made in faith. That's right. Um, we weren't going to settle uh, for what man had said. That's right. what God had said. Um. Ready to listen to man, but I was, I knew the right answer, but I didn't know if I had enough faith to listen to that answer. I. Because our, our, the natural fear in us wanted, right, you know, to tell us the worst and to just accept it. And uh, I mean, this was life or death. Right. I mean, this is not messing around. It's life or death for me. It's life or death for my child. Um, I was in a situation where we didn't know what quality of life, if the child were to make it, what the quality of life the baby would have had. So, I wasn't willing to put that on the line. Um, after that meeting, Pastor Derek challenged Ed and said, be the leader, stand your ground. Right. And as a wife, I have to stick by my husband. And that's my job. He's the leader of our family and he said, that's it. We're believing in God. Amen, that's right. And we did, and that's what changed. I walked out of there and I said, okay, I have a job too. That's it. So despite what this doctor said um, throughout my pregnancy, Jonah made it to 35 weeks. He was born five weeks early and he is happy and healthy and just an amazing baby. Um, as I'm just sitting here, I can't even imagine him not even being with us and yeah, part of we, our family anymore. If we couldn't hold him uh, in our arms. Oh my gosh. Like we do at night and all the time, you know. What if he wasn't there? You know, what if we made the wrong decision? What if we gave in to fear? Ugh. That doubt. Yeah. If we didn't seek that counsel, we wouldn't have both our boys. Yeah. But first, you know, overall, we just want to encourage you guys to have faith. Don't be afraid to stand on the rock. And you need to trust in God, not in man. Um, and He will surely see you through your darkest hour and whatever you're facing. He will bring you through and He will use for His glory. And you will see full restoration yeah. as we have with our son. That we're able to hold him now. Mm -hmm. So just trust God. Where are they? Where's where's uh, Brenda and Ed? Come on, stand up. Are they here? There they are. Come on, give them a big hand right there. It's a little baby. It's a little baby. He's alive.
<laughs> Woo. Feeling a bit misty right now. Oh, I wish you could have been there that day when they came in the office. It's hard to express in a very short period of time uh, how powerful that is. But God is good, amen? And when life is out of control, God is still in control. And when life seems unfair, God is still good. And miracles still happen. And it can seem irresponsible on one hand, but it looks very responsible right now, doesn't it? There's a lot more things I could say, but I, I'll let you talk to them. They have a, just a lot that God has done, and, and that baby has a destiny and plan for his life, and it's all possible because of trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Amen? Amen. So those are people just like you, and they're, they're right here in our midst, and it's just so awesome to see hope in hopeless situations. One of the Scriptures that we talked about as a kind of theme verse for the series is from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, and it says basically this, that hope deferred. This is what I wanted it to be like. This is what I thought was going to happen. I thought I was going to have a son. I thought I was going to have another child, and, and then the doctor says, no, you're not. This baby needs to be terminated. Oh, by the way, you could lose your wife. That's not exactly the plan that Ed had for his life when he got married. That's not exactly the future that he thought he would have. Hope deferred. Then does what? It says it makes the heart sick. The greatest sickness is not necessarily a physical sickness, though I think those are horrible, and I think cancer is terrible, and I hate it with a passion. I hate some of the diseases and infirmities that man faces, but the, the greatest sickness of all is a heart sickness, and it affects us, and when we have that, we don't see you know, or feel like we have any hope, and God wants to heal the sickness of our heart, and we talked last week, and I feel like my assignment was to explain what hope is, what it, first of all, what it's not. It's not wishful thinking or blind optimism or just some goal or objective out there, but hope is something solid, something that we can, we can grasp. It, it is an intangible with tangibility. Hope is a confident expectation based on something solid, something that's actually real. And we talked what the Bible used as an analogy, which is really the best one of all, is in Hebrews it said it's an anchor for our soul. It's something that though uh, you can't see it when it gets you know, under the water, it's grabbing a hold of something that holds you in your storms and in your difficulties. Can I have an amen? And for most people, hope is something they do, but actually it's something that we can possess. It's something we can have. And David talked about that in Psalm 71. He said, but as for me, I will always have hope. Say, I can have hope. And that's what this series is about. Some of this stuff is choice. Some of this stuff is beyond, you know, just, again, pie in the sky and dreams and wishes and fairy tales. It's actually something that we can have. But what I want to talk about today a little bit is... Um, the source of hopelessness. Next week, I'll probably talk about the source of hope. But I want to talk about the source of hopelessness for many people has to do with things that happen in our past. Things that happen in our past. In other words, it's, it's easy to hope once, but it's hard to hope twice. It's hard to face our future because of something that has happened in our past, because of what didn't happen, because something was deferred, something didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, is everybody out there? And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that, because some of us, we had dreams, and we had hopes, and we had aspirations. My dad wanted to be the president of the United States. You know, you laugh, but he was serious. He really wanted to be that. He was, 
young, you know, kind of a young politician pursuing certain things. And, you know, uh, certain people wanted, maybe that you wanted to be an Olympic athlete or maybe you wanted to marry. And you're not married. Maybe you wanted to have four kids and you don't have any kids. You haven't been able to have kids. And as you got older, it was initially it was, it, was, it was easy to hope for those things. But as you got older, your hopes were dashed. And you experienced as a result of things that you hoped for not happening, that you once hoped for, you experienced a hopelessness. Does that make sense to anybody that's out there? And so what this service is kind of all about is not to hear a message and you go, that was nice, or just say, you know, this will make it, you know, those, there'll be phrases I can put on a Christmas card. It's far beyond that, that there'll be something that you can take away, that something that will do, that'll be a truth, the truth that we know, the Bible says, sets us free. But we sometimes have to get truth in the inner parts, inside us, deep inside us. And so I'm going to talk to you about a guy named Jeremiah. Everybody say Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And we're going to read from kind of... Two, primarily two scriptures, but, but the main one would be from the book of Lamentations, Lamentations. And the context of this particular book in the Bible that most people don't like to read, maybe only one verse they like to read, but this prophet Jeremiah, he spoke the very words of God. He spoke what God told him. That was his role. As a prophet, he would speak under the inspiration of God, and he would just say whatever he, God told him to say. And, and, and Jeremiah, in, in one book, he said a lot of things that were really profound and powerful and really optimistic and very inspirational. And he said things like, you're going to have a hope and you're going to have a future. But what was interesting is, while he's communicating what God told him to do, the, communicating what God told him to say, he was having a hard time believing in himself. And so he writes this book. And it's really not theologically correct, but it's actually honest and heartfelt. He writes this book, Lamentations, and Lamentations was a lament. It's actually a whole book of complaints. It's one massive complaint. That's why we don't spend a lot of time reading that, as, as, you know, because it's not really something that makes us really happy. But it's one big giant com complaint. It's, it's like, how many of you guys remember the show, Hee Haw? I'm dating us, you know what I mean? It's like... It's like a hee-haw episode, you know, it's, it's, you remember that song they used to sing way back then, they used to, I, I forget all the words, but it was like, gloom, despair, and agony on me, remember that? I forget what it all went, but, you know, it was a deep, dark depression, something misery, I don't remember it all, you know, and they just go through this whole thing, it was like, by the way, hee-haw is like a documentary in Mississippi, but for us, <laughs> that's funny, I don't care what you say. <laughs> but they, 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 I just remember seeing all these guys, you know, seeing gloom, despair, you know, doing that whole thing. It, that's what Lamentations is like. It's just a massive lament, you know, it's sad. So, so he writes this, this particular verses in Lamentations 3, looking, you know, it's 19 and 20. He says this, Jeremiah says, I remember... In other words, you told me there was, you know, you told me, God, there was going to be a hope in the future. And I told everybody what you wanted me to say. Yeah, but I remember certain things. What do I remember? I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. In other words, this guy, this guy is depressed. He says, I, I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. He's got a serious Eeyore attitude. He's the last guy in the line in the, with the Lilliputians following Gulliver. You know what I mean? He's that guy. He's downcast. He's discouraged. And he's saying, every time I think of my past, I, re I, I can't help but remember these things. 
And it's hard for me to have hope because of my afflictions. It's hard for me to have hope because of these wanderings, because of this bitterness and gall. And so what I want to do is I want to unpack what these words represent as we go forward because there's past things that a lot of times can keep us from future blessing, future opportunity, future miracles in our life. Is the past a lot of times. So here's three things I want to show you that can kind of keep us from our future. The first thing, Jeremiah says, he said, I remember my affliction. So I'm going to translate that word and make it modern, but it basically means your past problems. Your past problems. Now, you, some of you already know this because you've been to church a little while, but some of you may not. But the, the Old Testament basically is primarily written in the Hebrew language. It's translated in English for us, but the original language is primarily Hebrew. And, and Hebrew is, a, is kind of a difficult uh, language to translate because it's like Greek is more literal and Hebrew is more pictorial. So a lot of times to, to understand a word, you'd get more a, a picture in the Hebrew, right? So anyway, the, the word for affliction in the Hebrew comes from an Assyrian, Assyrian, Assyria, an Assyrian form of torture, okay? So when you try and understand that one of the Verses in the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So, in other words, many are the past problems. They're, they're like this. In, 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 in the torture, this is what would happen. They would take a person, the Assyrians would take a person, and they would tie them to a stake, put their hands behind their back, and then they would begin to pile rocks one by one around this person that they were tortured. One rock would come, one rock would come, and they'd start stacking them up on top to eventually the point where they looked like, a, you know, kind of a, a stone or boulder Christmas tree. And as these problems were coming on, eventually the pressure, these afflictions, the pressure would suffocate these people and they would die. It's a horrible way to die. And, and basically what this word is translating is these afflictions are, I remember this rock problem. I remember this rock and this problem. And I remember this rock. And basically all these problems we're keeping with us and they're piling up on us. We're not behind, the rocks are not behind us. We're not stepping on top of the rocks. The rocks are coming on top of us one by one. Our past is suffocating our hope and our future. Does that make sense to everybody out there? He's saying, I remember my afflictions. I remember my problems. I remember my marriage pain. I remember that divorce. I remember when my kids, you know, health. I remember, you know, when things did I remember the work conflict that I experienced. I remember when I was believing for that guy to be healed, and I knew you were going to do it, and then you didn't do it. And my hope, my, the past thing that I hoped for was dashed. I can remember that personally myself. I have a picture of a guy in my wallet in my office right now of a guy I prayed for to be healed, and I knew he was going to heal him, and he didn't do it. And it hit me hard. It hurt my faith. And, and, and over time, but Jeremiah saying it suffocated me, and, and slowly it destroyed my hope. And last week I introduced another guy to you like Jeremiah, Job. Not Job, everybody. Job. So you want a job, you don't go to Job, okay? But all hell breaks loose in this guy's life, and he talks about this throughout his book. This hopelessness is, is everywhere. And in Job 30, 26, looking at your notes, he said this. He said, I was hoping for good, but evil came. I was looking for light, but evil came. And it's hard to see hope in the future when you're looking in the rearview mirror. It's hard to see something good that could be coming when you're spending all your time looking behind you. 
I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm not a huge fan of this show, but I, I watched a few episodes, and one of the reasons I didn't watch it very much, and I'll tell you in a minute, but anybody ever watched the show The Biggest Loser? The Biggest Loser. Some parts about it are cool, so don't get me wrong. I just... But what I love, you know, you have these, if you don't ever watch, if you never watched this show, there's these extremely obese people, they're struggling with their weight, and, 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 they, and they, they have these amazing, like, um, stories where they take off all this weight, and they're, they're literally externally transformed. Internally is another story. In fact, if you go online and you start looking and following some of these big winners, they did some almost you know, very, very dangerous things to lose all this weight. And then they end up in a very short period of time, if the ones that won and even some that didn't, putting all that weight back on and being worse than they were before. But what was interesting is during the show, occasionally they'd go away from the competitions and, and they, some people getting voted off and all these this kind of the competitive side and the training and all that. But every now and then the trainer would become like temporarily a therapist in the show. You know, you ever see these, and they got these little side stories going on, and there's two, there's a, there's a person that's struggling with their weight, and they're crying, and the trainer who becomes therapist says, why do you eat so much? You know, and then the person responds, and, and it's always some story about their past problems that they piled up and carried with them, and it's like a weight that's inside them that's manifesting on the outside of them. It's past problems that's carried with them all this time. And personally, I hate that the devil has been so successful in letting people be defined by their yesterdays. We cannot face our tomorrows until we overcome our yesterdays. That's part of the spiritual journey of connect. That's why we encourage people to get in small groups is to work through your issues because everybody has issues, right? You know where I'm going because and if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. Okay, so we want to help people get over their yesterdays. Some of our groups are even more strategic about that to help people with that. And I hate that the devil has kind of got us hook, line, and sinker, the junk of our past, trapping us so that we become something we never wanted to be in the first place. Number two, uh, Jeremiah said, I remember my wanderings, my wanderings. This refers to our past mistakes. In other words, I didn't have control over these problems that happened to me, but, but the problems that I caused, that's all me. It's all me, and I have a certain amount of regret and disappointment. A lot of people are living in this place where they're living in regret, those things you wish you never did, and you feel trapped by them. You feel imprisoned by them, and it's like a, it's like a pillow with feathers in it. It's exploded, and you can't get it all back and put it back to the way it once was or the way it was originally intended to be. The, the book of Job, chapter 27, verse 8. By the way, this particular verse is bad theology, but it's honest. And it's important for you to know that sometimes everything you read is not necessarily you know, good theology, but it's, the Bible is showing honesty. God is, Bob, Bob is showing real people in real life situations so we can identify with them. But this is what Job said. He says, for what hope has the godless? In other words, and you may not realize this, but the translation is a person who makes mistakes. It's not necessarily saying an unbeliever. What hope has the godless when he is cut off, when God takes away his life? God doesn't do that, by the way. What hope does someone who make a mistake, you know, God just cuts them off? That's not the God that we serve. That's not the God that, that I know and love. That's not the God that, uh, that, that, that wants to know you so bad. It's not true, but that's how, that's how Job felt. I, I got a letter, a, a kind of sad letter about a father. 
and he was passing by his son's room, and, and, and the door was kind of a little bit open, and so he pushed the door open a little bit more, and when he went in the door of the room, he saw the room was like all pristine and perfect, which was kind of unusual for his son to have a room looking like that, and then he sees the bed, and the bed's made. He sees an envelope on the bed, and as he sees the envelope, he has this kind of eerie feeling as he sees the envelope, and he goes over, and he opens the envelope, pulls this letter out from his son, and this is what it said. It said, Dear Dad, it's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with Mom and you. I've been finding real passion with her, and she is so nice. However, I knew you would not approve of her because of the piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothes. Also, she is so much older than me. But it's not only passion, Dad. She's pregnant. She said that she'll be, and we will be, very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone, and we'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, Dad, we'll pray that science will find a cure for AIDS because she, she needs to get better, and she deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. And Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your many grandchildren. Love, your son. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house, and I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report card that's in your desk. <laughs> Call when it's safe for me to come home. <laughs> Sometimes we amp up our past just a little bit, don't we? <clears throat> Isn't it true? Isn't it true that sometimes you think your mistakes have done you in and you're kind of freaked out by them and, and they're really sometimes not as bad as you've made them out to be? The next one is the worst, though. The next one's worse than that. So it's our past problems, our past mistakes, but this it's stuff, the stuff done to me, the stuff done by me. But this one is is, is Jeremiah said that this way. He says, I remember my bitterness and gall. This is referring to past relationships. Everybody say relationships. It says, think about it. Where, where, think about it. Where does bitterness come from? Bitterness doesn't come from some inanimate object. It doesn't come from something. Bitterness comes from someone. Someone messed you up. Someone hurts you. Someone harmed you. There, again, it could, be, it could be divorce of a friendship, of a marriage, of a family. Uh, it's usually those kind of things that hit us so hard. And it's usually during this season right now, during the holidays, where it's the hardest. I had one guy say to me just last week, he said, I hate the holidays. I said, why? He said, because I have to do two of everything. Because, because I have to go to Christmas at this person's house, and then I have to go to Christmas at that person's house, and I had to do it at Thanksgiving. And because my mother and my sister won't talk, I hate the holidays. It's just common that relationships are causing a lot of pain and they're causing a lot of hopelessness. And all he says all this to appease this disease of discord from the past. And he said, I hate it, I hate it. It's a relationship that's gone bad. Job said the same thing. Jeremiah said stuff about it too. But Job said this in 1919. He said, all my intimate friends detest me and those I, have turned, uh, those I love have turned against me. I just, I have, I'm upset. God, because I have these failed relationships, and failed relationships, you know, affect us tremendously, and you, you might know that God forgives you, but you might not experience someone else's forgiveness, 
and it's keeping you from moving forward into your future. I heard a story about a cop, and he gave this guy, uh, uh, you know, this guy had, had some traffic violation. He comes up to this guy's window, as, and this guy, you know, sees the cop and was very polite, and he had a clean track record, and he never did, he, he had never really did anything wrong, and so he's just pleading with the cop, you know, please, sir, I have, I have a clean record. It's been many, many years. This was just an oversight on my part. If you could just grant a little bit of mercy to me, I'd really appreciate it. And the cop just wrote up a ticket, and he put it in his lap, and he said, read it and weep, and he walked away. Drove away in his car, and the guy was just kind of upset, couldn't believe, you know, that he couldn't get mercy in that situation. Anyway, Later in the week, the same guy, he was an umpire at a softball game. It was a Friday night, and, um, and the first batter comes up, and sure enough, it's this cop. Cop sees the umpire. Umpire sees the cop's kind of an awkward little moment right there, if you can imagine. And uh, cop's not sure how he's going to handle the situation, so he goes over to the umpire and says, hey, how did it work out down you know, at the courthouse this last Week, you know, did things work out okay for you? And the umpire looked at him and said, whatever you do, whatever you do, swing at everything. Swing at everything. Some of you are baseball, you get it. But anyway, apparently not a lot of baseball players in here. <sighs> swing better. No. So in other words, some of us won't get this forgiveness from someone else that we might get from God. Sometimes it doesn't go exactly the way they think it was going to go, so, as, as did that joke. So, <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do when you're trying to have hope and your mistakes and your past problems and your past relationships are the resume that's screaming at you? I want to give you three things that will help you. And this comes from Lamentations chapter 3. This is one of the most infamous scriptures specifically from this book and maybe in the Bible. And we get a very well-known song from this particular book. Lamentations 3.21 says, Jeremiah is speaking, Yet I call this to mind. Everybody say, I call this to mind. And therefore, I have hope. So there's certain things I'm going to have to call to mind. I'm going to give you three. There's certain things I have to call to mind so that I can have hope. He's lamenting, but he's saying, in order for me to have hope, I've got to call these things to mind. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. So he's having this contrasting awareness of who God is and God loves him. And yet, we don't deserve it. He's having this moment. For his compassions never fail. And let's read this last part together in one voice. It says, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The secret to our finding hope in hopeless situations is every single day to change our bad thoughts into new thoughts, to call certain things to mind in order for us not to be informed but to be transformed and to be steady and consistent with that process. And I want to offer you more than, again, some inspiration. Let me give you something on how to rewrite my past resume. Number one, you're going to have to refocus your mind. Refocus your mind. He said, I'll call this to mind. You, you, you can replay the resume over and over again, and you're going to be ill. If you keep replaying this bad resume, you're going to be ill from it. You have to change the way you think. Everything begins with the way you think. The cycle of positive change and negative change begins, it's this. It's thought, it's word, it's deed. Thought, words, actions. You always start with your thinking. I think about Joyce Meyer, who was abused by her father for many, 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 many years. But because she chose to take the promises of God and have them renew her mind, God has leveraged her bad experiences, all those negative thoughts, to help people and equip people to overcome in their mind by the millions, 
Her testimony has been all over the world by the millions and millions of people. And that's why God says in Romans 12 too, let God, who does it, by the way, who transforms? Let God, come on, let's say it again. Let God, let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. No, those thoughts, they come from the word of God. And sometimes we don't get how important the word of God is. It's like, oh yeah, I've heard this before, I've heard this before. Listen, the goal of the Bible is not for you to just read it. It's not to go through a one-year reading plan. It's not, just, the goal of reading the Bible is to renew your mind, is to change the way you think. People in our world today not only do not have a biblical worldview and how they see the world, they don't have a biblical worldview of how they see themselves and how they see God, how they see God. You cannot change your behavior until you change the way you think. The biggest loser will never be the biggest winner. Just because they lose it on the outside is not going to change them. They'll end up getting worse off than they were before if they don't change what's going on in the inside. Can I have an amen? And I think Sometimes we don't surrender to the, the disciplines of the faith, to becoming a student of the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, we're supposed to be students, to know the word, to be able to apply the word appropriately. We don't do that because we're afraid. We're afraid that God's going to you know, mess us up. I was afraid as a Christ follower, and all I wanted was the fire insurance as a young man because I was afraid that, that, I called it mud hut theology. I was afraid that if I totally surrendered to the Christian lifestyle, he was going to send me to Africa and I was going to have to live in a mud, a mud hut and fight off mosquitoes the rest of my life. That's what I thought Christianity was going to be about. And I missed out on a lot and many segments of my life because I didn't fully surrender and let God refocus my mind. Check this out. Ephesians 4.18, read it with me. It says, many are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds against him. So they can't understand his ways. The more I become a student of God's word and let it chew on it, stew on it, meditate on it day and night, that, that man is blessed according to Psalm 1. He's fruitful according to Psalm 1. He's rooted according to Psalm 1. That, that's what happens. But if it opens my mind and I have more understanding about life, I actually believe the word of God makes you wise. This is good preaching, that's all I want to say. But anyway, if I can convince you of anything today is that you're going to have to actively embrace what God says. You have to trust his word. That's what Ed and Brenda had to do. They had to trust God's word. I prayed this actually for you today. Ephesians 3.18, it says, and you, may, and you may have the power, and may you have the power to understand. May you have the power to understand. In other words, I prayed like, God, help them get it. Help them get it. Not just hear it, but actually get it. As all God's people should. How what? This is what I want them to get. How, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. God is love, according to 1 John 4. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. That's what the word says. That's my prayer for you. Number two, you have to, in order to overcome, you know, and have hope in hopeless situations, you're going to have to release your past. Everybody say released. Again, you got to let go of your yesterdays to face your tomorrow, and we need to work through our issues, and that's why we get into relationships and groups. Isaiah said, forget the former things. Forget about it. That's what my friend Billy Hornsby's mother used to say. Psst, forget about it. You know? Forget about it. You got the world by the tail. 
You know, don't get your tail up over the dashboard, she used to say. You know, forget about it. You know, she'd, she'd, she'd kind of say, she'd make these little, you know, like little noises and stuff like that. You know, stop being such a sucky baby. Stop being such a sucky baby. Stop being such a sucky baby. Forget about it. <laughs> see, when you see people getting all worried about the past, just saying, stop being such a sucky baby. Stop being such a sucky baby. It's good, isn't it? It's good preaching. So, listen, you got to remember, Jesus didn't just come to forgive. Here, listen, here, newsflash, Jesus didn't come to just forgive you from the consequences of your sin. He came to cleanse you from your sin. You know what that, you know what, there's a difference. See, the, the consequence of sin, that's what the blood of Jesus made, his life made a total payment for, the atonement. He, he, he enabled us to be at one, atonement, at one with God. We were separated from God, the Father and mankind. So Jesus came from heaven to earth to show the way, you know. He died on the cross, my debt to pay. As a result, now I, have, I, have, I can be accessible and have access to God. But now while I'm down here on earth, what about when I make a mistake? Do I lose that access? No, I don't lose that access. Just be, because of what Jesus did and because I received that, I'm not divorced from God because I made a mistake, but I might be distant from God. I'm not, I, I haven't lost, uh, I'm not out of the family, but I might have a, a distant or loss of intimacy with God. And that's why in the Old Testament, there was sacrifices, these major sacrifices, and then there was the sprinkling of blood. One was for consequence and one was for conscience. And so what do we have today? We have Jesus for total consequences, and we have confession for those mistakes we make in between, in the here and now, and every single day, so we can restore fellowship with God. This is good preaching. I didn't expect to do this. Are you guys getting something out of this, what I'm saying right now? So there's forgiveness for sin. Yes, he came for that, but he wants to have a clear conscience. And one of the reasons we don't have hope is because we're carrying all this stuff on our conscience. We have stained minds. Our minds, are, they've been like tattooed. It's like the guy who went into the Chinese tattoo parlor, and, he's, and there's this guy, and he's sitting in a chair, and they're putting a tattoo on his arm, and it says, born to lose. And, and, and the guy who's coming in next line says, why would you write that on a guy's arm? And the tattoo guy said, already on his mind, already. <laughs> Sucky baby. Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12 says, He did not treat us like our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. This is God. As far as the east is from the west, so he has removed. In other words, one translation says, He remembers our sins no more, our transgressions from us. A lot of people uh, do not forgive themselves even though God's forgiven them. God's given you a do-over. He's given you a mulligan. He can't wait to wipe your slate clean. He wants to let you off the hook, but you need to let yourself off the hook. Amen? But your view of God will oftentimes determine your relationship with God. And he wants to change your view by, by renewing your mind and by helping you release your past. You have to stop looking at God the way you do. I used to look at God like he was on the Lincoln Memorial, you know? And he was just mad, you know? And I, we used to have these chick tracks when I was a young kid. We used to pass out. And, a, and at the end of, the, end of this gospel message was, was God sitting on this Lincoln Memorial type thing. And all the people, anybody know this? They look like ants. You know what I mean? That could just get, you know, stepped on by God at any moment. That's not the God you serve. That's not the God that, that I know and love and that loves you so much. He's not up there like the Wizard of Oz. What do you want? That's not the God 
of the Bible. Can I have an amen out there? He's looking for an opportunity to love you, and you've got to let go of the stains of yesterday. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So number three, you're going to have to renew your heart. Renew your heart. Change of our life is a process, right? But change of our heart can happen in an instant in the presence of God. One of the things I learned when my dad had a heart attack many, many years ago, he had a serious heart attack and almost died. And I he's as healthy as a horse now. He's probably in here somewhere. But, uh, but when he had that heart attack, remember we went to the emergency room? The first thing they did, what? Check vitals. They're doing all these things on the outside, but every single thing that was going, they were, that, they were, that they were observing and monitoring on the outside was all connected to one particular organ, the heart. I learned that day that everything begins and ends with the heart. So the truth is, there's really going to be no hope in hopeless situations until we allow God to renew our hearts. It's critical. Listen to what the scripture says. In other words, you can be changed in the presence of God, but you have, to exp- you have to receive the present of God first, the gift of God. The gift of God is Jesus Christ, and there is no, there is no life transformation. There's no new creature in Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians. That doesn't happen until we receive that gift of Jesus Christ. The thing about a gift is every gift is worthless if it's not opened. It may be priceless, but it's worthless if it's not opened or received. Revelation 2, this is for those of us who've let the past kind of pile up on us and the afflictions and the wanderings and the bitterness and gall. Maybe you're here today and you need to, you need to go back to that loving relationship with God. This is not in your notes, but it says, but you've walked away from your first love. Revelation 2 says this, why? In other words, you had it. What did you, what, what, what'd you do? What's going on with you anyway? You, you, in other words, if you think about it, son, daughter, you know life was better when it was with me and you. I've had so many conversations with people that when they took inventory of their whole life, they would say, life was better when I was pursuing God. Life was better when I was praying and spending time in the Word. Life was better when I was in fellowship with other believers. Life was better when I was going to church. Life was better when I was serving with my talents and gifts. Life was better when I saw God as a good God. Hey, this is what Revelation is saying. What happened? Go back. Go back to your first love. You need to return. Do you have any idea? The scripture saying this. It says, how far you've fallen? In the message, it says, like a Lucifer fall. You've fallen so far. The only thing that you can do when you've fallen to get the right perspective and see things right is you look up. You look up. Psalm 121, I look to the heavens. Where does my help come? It comes from the Lord. Not from somebody else who made heaven and who made earth. You can recover that in a moment. Now, maybe some of you need to come to him for the first time. Ezekiel says this. It says, I'll give you a new heart if you do. I'll put a new spirit in you, and I want to make you completely new. A new attitude, new way of thinking, new life. I'll remove your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you, everybody? Did you get something out of this? If you would just close your eyes and just honestly give the Holy Spirit just a minute to speak to you personally. Be still. Everybody, just be very still. Please, no moving around. Just be very still.
I want to pray for those of you who've just fallen away from your first love. If you know that God is speaking to you about that and you've drifted, there's a distance. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and just say, I need to, I need to come back fully to that love relationship with God. There's a distance and disconnect. God bless you all over the room. Good night. Don't be shamed. Lord, I just pray for you. Every single person that's in this room, I pray, Lord, that you draw them back to yourself in Jesus' name. May they fall in love with you again. Remind them. Refresh them. Lord, refresh them. Remind them of the joy of their salvation, God. Give them that childlike faith again. Give them that sincere devotion, Lord. Take away the, the drive and, and all the, the work and, and, and effort of it that, that is ungodly and the, and the guilt and the shame and all that. God just wants you to come back to him. He loves you. He wants you to come back to him. But if you're here today and, and you know that, that God's calling you to come into that first-time relationship, you, you, you've really never come into a relationship with God and you want to. Maybe you're listening online and, and you know that God's speaking to you and you, you want to know God personally. He wants to give you a new heart and a new spirit. He wants to give you a, replace your heart of stone. Which is, which is disconnected and callous from God and he wants to soften and tenderize it by giving you a heart of flesh so that you are so, you are so in love with God and, and you experience and know how high, how wide, how deep is the love that God has for you. If that's you today and you want that, would you raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, my friend, thank you. God bless you, sir. Is there anybody else? Please, I don't want to miss you. Thank you at the back there. Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Church, would you just pray this prayer? And those of you that are listening online, would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I want that new heart. Replace my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Create in me a clean spirit, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O oh God. And restore unto me the joy of my salvation. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the place. Come on, say it like you mean it. Tell Jesus you love him. Amen. Amen. Amen.